Hey guys. Hey. Oh, I'm Riss. And I'm Liza. And this is the Little Sleep Much Reading Podcast. And finally, from so little sleeping and so much reading, his brain dried up and he went completely out of his mind. Now that we got that over, um, none of our books won at the Oscars. Isn't that fucked up? I mean, Coda, looking back, sounds really cool, but I couldn't even find the book it was based on. That do be interesting. I don't know. I think it might have been in French. I heard people saying it might have been French. It's always the French. Who it's always the it. French. That's our lit news, though. Um, Drive My Car and The Lost Daughter did not win. Coda did win. It won Best Picture and Best Adapted Screenplay. So it seems like the Academy was liking it. Yeah. Yeah. But do we give two Fs about what the Academy likes? Not usually. At least, mm. though, this movie actually starred deaf people. So oh, fun, fun, fun. Representation. For once. For once. Because they could have picked, like, Power of the Dog, and then it would have just been all white people. But they didn't. So that's good. <laughs> there was, But remember, there was no movies, like, starring black people that were even nominated in, our, yep. in the category we talked about. So... Mm, <laughs> I'm I'm I've been done with the Oscars. Yeah, me too. So boring. And then Will Smith punched Chris Rock in the face. And Amy Schumer was there. Ugh. Also, why didn't not to be mean, but why did she look like that? I don't know. I don't like Amy Schumer. She like bothers me. Like she's not as much of a villain as Lena Dunham, but I feel like there's something nefarious going on. Yes, I think she hates women. Yeah, like, I don't know. She seems, like, not good. Also, here's the tea. The Oscars tweeting, the Academy tweeting, the Academy does not condone violence in any form. And then them threatening or thinking about taking Will's award away when Harvey Weinstein, Roman Polanski... And Woody Allen still all have their awards and they're all rapists. Like, we know that you guys do condone violence. So maybe shut your mouth. <laughs> and I would also argue that lack of nominations against diverse people is a form of violence. It is. And for them to like keep giving people like Harvey Weinstein and Roman Polanski awards and then threatened to take the one time a black man does something at the awards, they're going to threaten to take his award away. Like, um, y'all. Right. <laughs> Something's not adding up. And by not adding up, I mean, very much adding up. Yes. The Academy is racist. I literally said last night, I was like, I, I just have a feeling that they're going to make this into like a thing against 
black men. And by taking away his award, that's kind of something that they're doing. Yes. And also, you're more responsible for the people who you pick to host or um, present than you are for the people in attendance. And therefore, maybe you should be looking at Chris Rock and maybe thinking about the jokes that he's going to make before he makes them. Yeah. Period. Okay. Because it was an inappropriate joke. It was. Like, that was ableist. Yeah. End of story. Um, On a not-so-fun note, I just saw this... Two, two hours ago. Um, this is not lit news, but I feel like it impacts the writing community big time. Um, Governor DeSantis signed the Florida's anti-LGBTQ plus bill into law, which effectively bans K kindergarten through third grade teachers from leading class discussions on gender identity or sexual orientation. Um, so if you've missed it, there was a bunch of walkouts in Florida at schools. Um, a lot of people talk about it on social media um, of the don't say don't say gay, because they're basically arguing that if you t- teach kids about being gay, that it's going to turn them gay and they're trying to ban it in schools. Um, and then the, the awful governor of Florida signed the bill into law. And so now kindergarten through third grade teachers can't have discussions about being gay. I'm guessing can't openly say whether they're gay or not, which is goes right back to like, don't ask, don't tell time period. And they can't read books that have gay or trans um, characters, which is really upsetting because there's a lot of cool books for kids with gay and gender non-conforming and trans characters. So that's just upsetting. Yeah, that's really upsetting. Well, I mean, it, it is also censorship of it is. the classroom, which we have feelings about that. Um, and it also says a lot about what government, the government in Florida is, how they think or right. feel about gay people yeah um you know them being like oh talking about gay is going to make them gay uh that's not how it works guys that's a little bit that's that's a little bit um pea brain energy of you buddy it's just so stupid like we freaking know that your people are born the way they are born right like why are you, like you're be like that just ugh, I hate homophobes and turfs and transphobes never, so much. Like as someone who grew up Catholic, I never really understood because like God made us all in his image and likeness. So that's gay. Right. So then God was like like if if someone turns out to be gay, God made God them gay. He literally said it was gay, so I said gay. Also, Jesus was fruity as fuck, and you can't tell me otherwise. That man was sleeping with his disciples, apostles, apostles, apostles. He was bi because he was also 
hooking Mary up with Magdalene. Mary Magdalene, who's my favorite character. Mine too. I always Magdalene. said if I were to have a kid, I would name her, and it was a girl, I would name it Magdalene because I think it's beautiful. That is beautiful. And she was a bad bitch. But Jesus would love the gays. He'd probably go to drag brunch. Um, and he was gay and he said gay. And God said gay too, probably, if he's real. So. <laughs> yeah. Like, I did not grow up religious at all, but I had that same thought, too. Like, when people bring up the religious aspect of it, I'm like, why would God even, why are you still religious if there are gay people? Because wouldn't that make you not believe that it was real? Be, like, I like, it, why would he make gay people right? If he didn't want to? It doesn't make sense. But yeah, that's obviously something that I feel like um, is really important to the writing community and the book community like yes we would not be a community without lgbtq plus people um we wouldn't have history in the writing and reading community without lgbtq plus people so every time something like this happens it's always literary news because it's affecting all of us especially LGBTQ plus writers and readers. Oh, you know who I miss? Who? Nanny. Lexi Andrews. Oh, I always miss Nanny. <laughs> Lexi! Sweet. Nanny was in my dream last night. Nan. I, I miss Nan. I miss Lexi too. My author this week kind of, the writing style kind of reminded me of Lexi, which I feel like we say all the time, but that just means Lexi's like a really good writer. She's so good. It's like the exact kind of writing that I like. Yes. Like, it feels I, like poetic. Yeah, but it feels like homey. Yes. In like a really off putting, like weird way. It's very disturbing. Yes. Where you're like, why do I find this homey? I know something's going on. Why do, but literally all my besties are my favorite writers. And that's not even me being um, biased. I genuinely think that we made the team of the. Uh, we built a team of the best of the strongest writers and we went with it. (laughs) I said, if I'm going to die, I need all the best writers around me. If I'm going to fail as a writer, I better have good writing friends. Yeah. Someone, someone's got to (laughs) win. Marissa. Hey, (laughs) what's this episode of um, the podcast? This episode is special to us it is our episode for autism awareness which if you don't know april is autism awareness month which means yeah you should be spending your time um educating yourself on autism and there's a lot of misconceptions out there about it more importantly to us i think is that autism isn't always something that totally squashes your life you can be an autistic person and you can be an athlete you could be an artiste you could be a carpenter you could be a teacher just because you're autistic doesn't mean you don't have the same abilities to do things that other people can do and so this week um, we wanted to celebrate that and we wanted to read books by autistic authors or books that have autistic characters. 
And so we're very excited about that. Very much. I'm very excited. So, Liza, yeah. what, what did you read? I read um, The Deep by River Solomon, who is a very cool person. Um, this book was really good. Um, and yeah, River Solomon is non-binary. They use they, them pronouns. They are sort of like a leading force in queer literature. They've won the Lambda Literary Award and also one of one of the many, many, many great um, Black authors of today. And I did not know that they were autistic, but they are. They did an interview with Penn America in 2019, where they largely talked about their writing process and they didn't talk about it in depth, but they mentioned uh, when answering a question of how their creative process looks like. I'll read this quote that they said. It said, my ineffective perfectionism, my self-loathing, my perceived laziness, exhaustion and fatigue, autistic burnout, overwhelm, all things picked up in school have hindered my writing by letting go of doing things the way they're supposed to be done, the way I was taught to do them effectively, productively, forcibly, I've been able to write more than ever. And I think that's like a really cool quote for Autism Awareness Month because it kind of exposes some of the ways that we were taught in school to do things are not the way that's going to work for everybody. But that doesn't mean that somebody can't be a prolific author just because they're autistic. It just means they have to let go of that societal norm of how we're supposed to do things and how we're supposed to learn and figure out their own way of doing it. Um, So I thought that was really cool. And they had this other quote in the article that I really liked that I think speaks to writers and especially how I write my writing process. And it's so honest in a way that I haven't heard other writers say. And I wanted to read that too. It says, I write, I get tired, I stop. I drop an idea. Sometimes I pick it up again. Sometimes I don't. I write at night when I feel like it. I write in the morning. I write not at all. And I loved that because Marissa, how many times were we in school and our author would come and be like, and I sit down at six in the morning and make myself write for an hour. And that's how I finish my novel. And it's like, first of all, you're lying through your teeth. Second of all, that's just not going to work for neurodivergent people, people struggling with mental illness, whether it's autism, ADHD, depression, OCD, anxiety, bitch, that shit, <laughs> that's not going to work. And so I loved that, like, River Solomon, like, took that moment to be honest and also to be, like, representation for, like, you don't have to be that kind of writer. You can be whatever kind of writer you are. So I thought that was really cool. Who did you read? What did you read? So I read a book called Even If We Break by Meriki Nishkamp. It says that they go by they, them pronouns personally, but she, her pronouns professionally because they, them doesn't always work in their language. But for us, since we are English speakers and they, them can work for us, I will use they, them. So they were born in the Netherlands and... um. If they sound familiar, you might know them from the book. It's called This Is Where It Ends, and it was about a school shooting, I believe. I've never read it, but I've heard great things about it. So Meriki is 
a non-binary autistic author. And in in this book that I read called Even If We Break, it is about five friends who they play kind of like a live action Dungeons and Dragons type game. And so they go to a cabin and they are planning to have the whole entire weekend to play this game. And someone starts picking them off one by one. I will say I'm excited to talk about this book, not only because Marquis is autistic, but also because there is an autistic character in the book. There's also a non-binary character who goes by they, them, um, who is transgender. And then there's another character who is transgender. So two transgender characters and the one transgender character is disabled. Um, And then you also have an autistic character. And I'm like, hell yeah. I've never read a, I've never read um, a book with this kind of diversity. And so I was really, really excited about that. And yeah. So I read The Deep by River Solomon, as I mentioned. This book was written, this novella, it's only 150 pages, um, was written in 2019. And it is a fantasy, but also science fiction. And it's kind of, it's almost utopian. It's utopian, I guess. But it's its main core is Afrofuturist, um, which is a cultural aesthetic philosophy that imagines sci-fi. Correct, someone can correct me if I'm wrong too, but I think imagines like sci-fi through the African diaspora, which is really cool. I just saw an exhibit at the Met that was Afrofuturism. And it was very cool. It is a very cool aesthetic. Um, and obviously it often explores, it makes comments, Afrofuturism comments on society in various different ways. Um, and this book does that in more ways than one. Um, it also is in collaboration with, the book is in collaboration with David Diggs, William Hudson and Jonathan Snipes because they wrote a song for, I believe, This American Life. Is that where it came from? Either way, they wrote a song that inspired this book. So River Solomon credits these three um, men when writing this book that I guess basically derived from a hip hop song which is sick this book also won the lambda literary award um and it was nominated for the hugo nebula and locus awards so river solomon is just a really cool um force in the sci-fi and fantasy genre at the moment i believe their most recent novel was called Sorrowland, which is another one on my tbr their first novel was the unkindness of ghosts a science fiction novel exploring um structural racism And then Sorrowland deals deeply with racism in the United States as well, as well as queerness. So now I'll explain what The Deep is about because it's a very cool, very cool concept fleshed out in this book by River Solomon, but obviously um, synthesized by um, Diggs, uh, Hudson and um, Snipes. 
this book basically follows a species known as the Wajinru, who are mer people. And um, they live in a utopian society underneath the sea, but they are all the descendants of the thousands of pregnant African women who were thrown overboard from the slave ships crossing the Atlantic in the Middle Passage. Um, And this book and story imagines a world where the woman died but the babies, because they were already in like embryonic fluid in the stomach, because the women were then submerged in water, the babies survived. But they survived with gills and fins and special noses. Um, but they are all descendant of African people. But unlike, you know, the atrocities that have happened to the African people on land, they have built their own utopian society underneath the sea where they're not really affected by colonization, racism, the horrors of slavery. All that being said, they hold within them generational trauma, um, which I think is a really interesting thing to explore, too, because we actually know that that's true, um, that Black people um, and other groups of people as well, trauma is passed down, like, biologically, like, in anxiety, in different psychological ways. And so the way that this is kind of explored in this book is that one of the people, one of the mer people, um, Yitu, is in charge of remembering. So they hold on to the entire Wajinru's people's traumatic memories and traumatic history so that only one person has to bear that heaviness and that pain while the rest of them can keep you know living life and it's passed down almost like um like it's passed down to different wajinru throughout time so this yitu hasn't been around forever the remembering was passed on to her and each year everybody has to relive the memories together and it's sort of like this big spiritual ceremony but then it goes back to just the one person having to bear the brunt of this trauma and I thought that was also a really interesting concept um and it kind of reminds me of if anybody has read the story the ones who walk away from Omalas by Ursula K. Le Guin which is about like all of the people in this town called Omalas get to be happy But the only reason they get to be happy is because there is a child being kept in a cage beneath the city. And it's basically like the story is a psychological experiment because it's trying to explore, like, would you walk away from Omelas after knowing why you get to be there in that utopia? Or would you stay and just ignore that? And obviously, this is like a little bit different, but I thought that was really interesting that it reminded me of that because... Um, River Solomon noted that their biggest literary influences are Ursula K. Le Guin, Octavia Butler, Alice Walker, who wrote The Color Purple, um, Zora Neale Hurston, and Ray Bradbury. Um, So I thought that was really cool. But yeah, so this book kind of starts with with that. And then um, we get the closest to Yitu, and she, all of this 
everything is being, she's been remembering this really traumatic history for so long that she decides to flee to the surface. And she um, finds herself in a tide pool where she meets a two-leg person um, who are obviously humans. And she meets a woman named Uri and they sort of have this interesting bond together. And you, you two always had it in her head that everybody who lived on shore was like, it's almost like Little Mermaid asking this part. She had this idea that like everybody who lived on shore was like <clears throat> the horrible white slave traders that she is burdened with remembering. But when she meets Uri, she finds that that's not actually the case today. However, Afrofuturism comes in once again because it becomes, it starts to become part of the plot that humans are still a threat to the Wajinru because of the fossil fuel industry. So it's like, it's this really interestingly built novella that is like, to me, felt a lot like a fable, like folklore in style, almost like a parable. But then it had this haunting sort of uh, dystopian social commentary. Obviously, it had a whole social commentary about the Atlantic slave trade throughout. But towards the end of the book, it has this commentary on looking forward and and this Afrofuturist twist of here's how folks are being threatened now and put that like environmental spin on it, which I thought was like very cool. And I was not expecting that. Um, But to get right into it, for readability, I gave this book a seven. Um, So like I said, it kind of reminded me more of like a fable or folklore style than a full-fledged book. And I'll get to that, that a little bit more when I talk about plot. But I guess that's the only reason I didn't put it like any higher than a seven on readability because like, I don't know. Stories that are structured in that way don't usually have the same effect on like, oh my God, I can't put it down. This is a binge book. I have to keep reading. It was almost too like that style of story that I do like. And Marissa and I both like, that's like almost like a snapshot of a life. Um, And I think that was a really interesting way to go about it. But it was a book that you could like, you didn't have, even though it was only 150 pages and you could read it in a day or a weekend you honestly didn't have to read it all in one go. Um, and I think it was because of that like folklore kind of fable style. And that almost like, it was almost like an exploration, like an anthropological exploration more so than plot. Uh, and almost like also reminded me of like origin myths, which I think was cool, but we do get specifically close to one character, Yi Two, and so I think that kind of adds to that like more typical novella style. But yeah, that's how I think I'd like to phrase it, and that that's really cool too because that means that River Solomon put so much into this that it felt anthropological at times because they imagined this whole universe that obviously doesn't exist, but to be able to explore it in this way means so much extra thought was put into it other than focusing on plot alone. Um, so that is actually very cool. For language and style, I gave this book a nine. I love River Solomon's writing style. I thought it was insane. 
it was very unsettling at times in a good way, in my favorite kind of way. You guys know that I loved, for example, like one of my favorite books I read last year was um, Savage Conversations. So I think that um, sort of writing style. So here's, here's a moment where it's more description-based that I really liked. And this is at the Remembering Ceremony. Wajinru flapped their tail fins against the water on Yitu's command, a steady pulsating thrum in meter with her beating heart. The pitch of it was deep, so deep. Yitu let the massive waves of their movement consume her. She submerged herself in their energy. All her nerves left her now that the remembrance was beginning. The history was her power and it ignited her. She could do this. She would do this. She would be their savior. Remember, Yitu ordered, voice filling the womb. And that was just like, you could feel it reading that. Like you could feel the vibrations. And I thought that was very cool. And then, so that was like an example of Solomon's descriptions being really good. But also I thought their dialogue was really weird in a good way. This is still happening in the remembrance ceremony. Yi Tu sank into the pain, allowing her body to relax despite the intensity of feeling. She would transmit the story to them as she had always done every year since she was 14, as historians before her had done for many years. Tell us, someone shouted, their voice high-pitched, loud and demanding, a screech that sliced through the water. Tell us, tell us now. Remember, Itu told them, remember, it wasn't a story that could be told, only recalled. The Wajinru who shouted nodded their heads, and soon every other Wajinru was nodding as well, a dance of bopping heads causing a beautiful pattern of zigzags in the water. It went from a nod to a dance, their bodies rising from the womb floor where they'd sunk. They moved their shoulders, then torso, then waved their fins. Tell us, tell us, we must know, the screeching Wajinru called again. I do not remember. I must remember. What is your name? Yitu asked. The Wajinru felt her her soft voice easily through the moving water, so attuned her people were to her in that moment. I have no name. I am nothing. I am sunk. Remember your name, said Yitu. No name. I have no name. They say again, help, tell me. And I just thought that passage was like so shocking in a really beautiful way. The, my favorite part of that passage is it was a story that that could, it wasn't a story that could be told, only recalled. And that specifically really stuck out to me as like, what a way to describe remembering in general. But also it felt like I'm obviously not Black or like from the African diaspora, but I feel like that line specifically speaks to remembering, recalling what happened to um, the people that were stolen from their land and taken to the Americas um, in the times of slavery. Like it was not something, a story that could be told, only recalled. And I think that probably speaks a lot to that um, generational trauma that people quite literally hold within their, their bodies to this day. 
And I also love the referring to the ocean as the womb floor because they were in their mother's wombs who were thrown overboard, but then they were nurtured by the ocean for the rest of their gestation. Um, So I just think that was pretty fucking cool. For form, I gave this book a seven. I thought it was super, (coughs) I'm so sorry. I thought it was super experimental. It was very poetic, lyrical, song-like. It had that fable, almost epic quality to it. And I would factor in the fact that it was derived from a song to be very experimental in the form too, the fact that that's where it came from. So even though it was like pretty much structured like a fable or whatever, and like went chapter by chapter in a very typical way, I did want to give it like extra points for for form almost I almost split concept into both plot and form as well because I do think concept is such a big part of this story specifically that I was like thinking way more about it with each section than I was within I would typically with another book for shelf worthiness I gave this book a um 6.5 I really enjoyed this book I think you should buy it um I think it is shelf worthy I think it's a really cool way to add to decolonize your science fiction bookshelf specifically. Um, And if you don't have Afrofuturist works, this is a a great one, a little one to have um, before maybe going on to anything. If you don't, if you, you know, want to check it out first, it's a 150 page book. Like it's super short and it's really cool to support River Solomon because they are um, a queer black non-binary author who also is autistic. So definitely I say this book is shelf worthy. The cover is really cool. We always talk about the covers and I like this one quite a lot. It has like a person over here. I do, we did get to see what the Wajinru look like in a brief, in a few brief descriptions. So it doesn't actually look like this person that's on the cover. This is just like a a regular photograph. They look quite different from that. They have like flat noses, like, slits for noses and obviously they have like one leg that's fins but I do wish I got to see a little bit more of what they looked like not saying I would ever want this to be turned into a movie it could be a cool movie but it would have to be done right but like it's just one of those like curiosity things that I'm like wow I wish I could see this for real instead of just the description and imagining it in my head Um, but maybe that's for the best that we didn't get to see it on the cover and we each got to imagine it in our own way for plot. I, this, okay. So I gave this book a 7.5 to an eight for plot. And this sort of ties into what I was talking about earlier that like, it felt more like an observance of something than something plot heavy. And that switch to, to like almost a different setting and a different story towards the end with the exploring, like exploring like environmentalism, I thought was re- like really interesting. And so I, I'm more so with plot rather than plot was thinking about concept. And if we're talking concept, like I give this book like a nine, so good, totally original fresh but if we're talking about plot I was like I give this more so of like a a 6.5 or a 7 like very good I have a few questions the the readability was like good but like I wasn't like you know 
dying to finish this as quick as I possibly could. And so that's why I gave it like in between those two schools of thought, like a nine and a seven. And I went for like an eight because I was mixed. We usually just look at plot, but for this specifically, I felt like I had to mix plot and concept because sometimes you don't need to talk about concept. Like there are so many books where we're not going to talk about concept because it's not that big of a deal. But for this one, it felt like the concept was the real, the concept and the writing was the real star of the show in a way that I think a lot of times like epic it's not poetry, but in a lot of times I think epic poetry is. It's the concept and the writing that's important and less so the plot. Um, so that was kind of why I was like, I had a little bit more of a difficult time addressing the plot section, but obviously I still really liked this book and thought it was so cool. And then for characterization, um, I also gave this book an eight. I thought you two and the only reason I would say like a 7.5 or 8 for this too is because the only character we really, really got close to was Yitu. But there were quite a few other characters and they were pretty fleshed out, but perhaps not as fleshed out as Yitu. But you really get to understand the weight that Yitu feels carrying this remembrance of her people's history and you understand why she feels like she needs to flee it because of how heavy this remembrance is and getting to experience the other people in the book through her I thought was also really cool so yeah yeah that's the deep by River Solomon and I was really happy to find this book Um, I feel like I would have probably read River Solomon at some point but um, I'm glad I found out that they were autistic so that it could be highlighted for Autism Awareness Month. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. And you know what? I've been saying it since day one, guys. The ocean, it's a mass grave. It's a mass grave. It literally is. Also, let's explore it. We don't know what the frig is down there. Oh, that's so scary. Did you know that there's snow, it snows in the ocean, and it's actually just fragments of corpses, mostly animal corpses, but it's called like ocean snow, and it's just their bones, and it looks like snow. I didn't know that. I just, I sent you the article about marine snow. A shower of organic material falling from upper waters to the deep ocean. They have a video of it. And it's just dead folks, as in dead animals. Isn't that sick? Yeah. I wish we could just be buried anywhere. I really, 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 really want to be composted. And Colorado, I think, just did its first composted, legal compost burial. And I hope that by the time we die, that it's legal everywhere. Basically, you get wrapped in like a cotton or like easily biodegradable shroud you could put in like a tank with dirt and a bunch of other materials that like break stuff down probably worms and little animals and you turn into dirt and then you can be planted anywhere you want you could grow vegetables you could grow a tree grow blueberry bush you could just be dumped like any anywhere you want, but you're dirt instead of ashes. I like it. Isn't that sweet? Yeah. 
you also don't have to be embalmed if you want to be buried. You could just be wrapped. You don't have to be in a casket. I don't think. I feel like there's some places where you can just be like wrapped in a shroud and lowered. The death care industry makes it so that they can like profit off of you. And so they don't want you to do that. Society just wants to make money off your dead corpse. So they don't want you to just bury you anywhere. Maybe I just want to be dumped in the woods and have little animals eat me. You can be donated to a body farm, which I think is sick. Yeah, but I don't like the the, the phrase body farm. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. And you would be you, they would test how you decompose and they would use you to train like cadaver dogs. <gasps> Isn't that fun? I, I like that. I want to help the dogs. You can also be mixed into like an animal feed block and be left out for like birds and bird seed. That's kind of fun. I like that. I would like to be in a pod and then um, have a tree grow from my body. I think that's a really nice one, too. So many cool ways to die. Not to die, to be dead. So many cool, cool ways to be dead. Cool ways to die. <laughs> so many cool ways to die. <laughs> we just love dead folks. They're so cute. Oh, you know, being dead. Being dead, they're just little sweeties having a little nap. They're just dying. They're just dying and being dead. And we love that for them. Well, people be dying in my book. <laughs> Let's hear it. Let's hear about the, the death. Let's hear about the death. Okay, so as I have said, my book is Even If We Break. Friends who have had a falling out, so they're like newly kind of not so much friends anymore, um, go to this cabin to play the game that they have played together for many years for the last time. And it's a very um, Dungeons and Dragons live role-playing type game. And... People start dying. People start getting picked off. Um, The mountain that this cabin is on has a lot of strange ghost stories surrounding it. And perhaps they're real. Perhaps they're not. We don't know. So let's get into this a little bit. For readability and interest, I gave this book a seven. It wasn't a book that I think would play on your mind. It was very, um, I don't know. It wasn't bad or anything. It just... It just was a very straightforward type story, I would I would say. And I kept reading it for the plot specifically. I love this like weird kind of murder mystery type thing. It did give me a little bit of and then there were none vibes minus the racism. So, yeah, so that's pretty much why I kept reading it. I wanted to know what was going on. Also, the way that these young kids, I, I they're about 17 or 18 now, I would say. And they are, um, the way that they feel about their game that they're playing, oh, it just felt so nice. Like to think of, you know, having something that important to you and you do it with your friends. And I remember being a young kid and we would play Clue like every single day on the porch and then eventually it went to like kickball or school or whatever. But just, I don't know, that feeling was just really, really nice. For language and style, I gave this a five. There was nothing spectacular about it. 
I think that the focus for this book is less on the actual writing and more on um, plot and characters. So it's not always bad that, you know, language and style doesn't get a high score. Um, It kind of just depends on the author and the focus of the book. And for this one, very basic, very basic writing style. And I do understand, I should say this book is like a YA book. And sometimes what you need in a YA book is not amazing metaphors and very poetic lyrical writing, um, but instead just like a really good plot and some wholesome characters. Um, for form, I omitted form. Um, the only interesting thing there is to know is sometimes between chapters, there will be almost like a page written in, ita- in italics, and it's almost like it's from the game master. Someone kind of has an over an overhead voice of some kind. Um, really interesting, but other than that, Nothing really out of the ordinary happening with form. But like I said, I think that we're focusing on characters and plot here, and that's a-okay. For shelf-worthy, I gave this a five. I liked this book, and I'm sure that if I was in high school, I would probably like this book even more than I did. And I think for a mystery book, I really liked it, but... I think once you discover the whole thing, um, you might not need to read it again. And also it feels like a book that you would read once and like keep the characters close to you, but maybe not pick up the book again. I think I would recommend buying this one though, if it sounds like something you would be into. But yeah, for plot, I give this an eight. Like I said, this was my favorite thing about the book. I loved the plot. If I had to make some comments on it, I would say parts of the book feel very YA. It feels very much, the characters feel very young adult and and they are. So, I mean, I understand it. And maybe when I was 17 or 18 years old, I would read this and be like, what the heck? Why are these characters acting like this? But now that I am 22, I look back and I think, or I even talk to 18 year olds and I'm like, okay, I do understand. (laughs) There's just something very YA about it. Um, I'd also say the dialogue is not my favorite. We talk to people every single day. We've been talking to people since we were very young. We know what a normal conversations should sound like and it can't be too structured it can't be too much like a speech it can't be too preachy and some of this this dialogue in this book did sound like that it did sound very like with the power of friendship and some really good trust we could do this together but but do you trust me? Like, you know, and that's nice. And, and we like that. But it doesn't always feel real when characters are saying it. Um, 
I don't know. I would love to be like, oh, this is the way you fix that. But I genuinely don't know. Being in workshops in school, I would just remember reading people's writing and just being like, this doesn't sound, it doesn't sound correct all, all the time. It sounds like it's trying too hard, I suppose. So I think dialogue is just something that a lot of people have to work on. And I would say a lot of writers are either like good with dialogue or like they're not. It's it's really just a hit or a miss. So for this book, I would say definitely not my favorite. I wish that it was a little bit more flowing and natural sounding. Yeah, but I did love the the plot. I didn't think it was predictable. I enjoyed the mystery of it. I thought that the stakes were high. And I think that the idea of having this like fictional game holding these friends together is really, really interesting. While they're in the middle of this crazy life or death cabin in the woods situation. Um, For characterization, I gave a seven. I liked the characters. Like I said, they were very diverse. You have one non you have one non-binary transgender character who goes by they them you have a transgender character who is uh also disabled and there is an autistic character in here um these characters are they have anxiety they have trust issues they come from different class backgrounds there's a lot going on here which i appreciated And I think for the most part, the characters reflect where they came from, um, if that makes sense. And my only like thing I would say about it is there doesn't seem to be a person of color character in here. And it there was kind of like a little thing mentioned about that in the book where there was originally six friends and one of them is gone from the group. And so there's only five. And after the sixth friend left, they make a comment like maybe we should get some color in our group, but they just figured that they should not add more to the group when they have already just become so comfortable with each other. But it is interesting that that comment was made almost as a reflection to the book, because there is a lot, like I said, there's a lot of diversity going on um, in this book already, which is a good thing. It's not a bad thing. I just wonder if like, you know, there could be a point where you look at a white author and you wonder like, Hey, are they doing too much? But I don't know. Um, I would also say, I really enjoyed friendships and the lack of friendships between the characters. There's a lot of mistrust in this book, but it was not justified, but it made sense. And yeah, I liked this book. I I would say if I'm thinking ahead to the best of 2022, this book would probably get ranked somewhere in the middle. It probably would not be in my top 10. Um, But that doesn't mean I didn't like it at all. I did like it. It was just a little bit too CWYA for me. But that might be your cup of tea. So maybe you want to go check it out. I don't know. 
But yeah, that's about all I got to say about this book, even if we break. Yay. Yay. It feels um, like it would be a good movie. Oh, it definitely seems like it would be a good movie. Um, like sometimes you read a book and you're like, do not turn this into a movie. I swear to God. Where's this? Yes. Like, turn it into a movie. Yeah. Like- the The one character has like... Do you know the the crutches that also like cuff onto your arm? Yes. They have that. And the whole book, I was like, fight with them, fight with them. Yeah. <laughs> but like, they also need that to walk. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't know if this happens in your book, but I was just having this conversation that like my favorite kind of horror movie are either the kind where nobody dies or everybody dies. Do with that in hard agree. Well, but um, when I think of like a good slasher movie, especially for teens, I'm like, everybody better fucking die. Die. Everybody die. in here best be dying. Um, you don't have to include this in the um podcast, but it reminded me of it when you were like, there's no really POC. And I was like, that's kind of like for such a big character cast, like that is interesting. Um, but well, the other thing I was thinking about in terms of horror, um, both the horror movies I watched most recently, we know there's this trope in horror where the black person is killed first. Um, It's either like the person who has sex is killed first or the black person is killed first or some other weird thing happens. And it's troubling that that's been such a trope. But both horror movies I've watched most recently, um, I don't want to spoil it for Marissa, but I want to tell you, um, Fresh and X do really cool shit with that idea. And so I just really like that. So I was thinking about it. I was like, maybe... maybe there's some other reasoning to why. Maybe they did not want to write that. Right. You know? that's what I mean. Like maybe they didn't want to make any mistakes with that, especially to like with they're from the Netherlands too. like, I don't know, it could be like a thing that they were like, I don't know, I don't want it to come off. I don't want like in a bad way. So I'll just not do anything, which is like, yeah, you know, and then they and then they highlighted it. So it's like, right. huh. They okay. were like, they were they didn't want you to be like where were the people of color they were like okay there's not people of color just FYI <laughs> hey. hey sometimes you got which like um, I at some point there's an applaud for that because you don't want to be that person that in the year of our Lord 2022 makes a horror book where you get rid of the black people right away like yeah that's a bad thing that keeps happening or there's horror movies where there are no black people and it's not addressed yeah friends <laughs> that that was our autism awareness episode make sure you are um looking up your favorite authors finding out which authors you love are autistic and what authors you don't know about yet that are autistic that you could maybe go and buy their book look up books that have autistic characters in it hey maybe you want to read some nonfiction actually about autism you want to i have a bunch that i could recommend for you um 
you know, learn something. Uh, there are a bunch of autistic people who are walking around and living their life and doing everything that non-autistic people do. And maybe we should give them our support this month. Mm-hmm. And if you're um, autistic and you're listening to this, we love you and appreciate you very much. We do. We love, we love you. We love you. You. That was me hitting your nose like this. You. Um, Liza, what, what's on our agenda for next week? Hey, it's an author's birthday next week. An author's birthday? Whose author's birthday is it? Beverly Cleary. Our Lord and Savior. Um, so she is a childhood favorite of many. And we're also having a little, we're inviting a guest to our celebration. Yes, a guest who loves Beverly. And a guest who um, will bring the energy that I think that Beverly needs would want. At her birthday party. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's going to be, drum roll, Zoe Woman. Um, we love Zoe so much. And Zoe truly brings the right vibes to every party. Yeah. Zoe is one of my favorite people on the entire planet. Yes. Hard agree. Hard agree. Yeah. Such a gem. So we're really, really excited to have Zoe on. And I honestly, I don't think Zoe will need to plug. I mean, she could definitely plug whatever she wants, but I think she will just talk forever and you guys will be like, wow, amazing. Amazing. Give her her own show. Yeah. She needs a podcast where she just talks. (laughs) She's so funny. What's the theme for today, Zoe? Animals in in Williamsburg. (laughs) Yeah, she would just do anything. She should be a stand-up comedian. She really should. She doesn't even know she's being funny sometimes. Oh, I know. That's That's the thing. You got to, like, catch her at, like, a weird time, too. Like, sometimes she is very intentionally funny, but sometimes she is very, like, she didn't even know what she just said. Yes. I love her. Uh, we love Zoe. Um, we're very excited and we hope that you will all bring great energy for Zoe and get ready to celebrate sweet Beverly Cleary with us. And yeah, we'll see you then. Thank you for listening. Uh, Bye. Bye. Peace out. I guess everybody's right.